You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is 9.18 as I speak on Thursday, July the 7th. I'm coming to you from Newmarket's July course, where at the moment it is a little blustery and cool and there's some cloud overhead. But it'll all burn off. It'll be a glorious afternoon here and a welcome distraction from the extraordinary events in Westminster. As I speak to you now, I think we've got it confirmed that the Prime Minister is about to resign as Cabinet Minister after Cabinet Minister after Minister after Minister um, fell by the wayside over the last 24 hours. Uh, Neil Channing and Lee Mottishead are with me today. Why is this relevant to a racing podcast, I hear you ask? Well, of course, it's relevant to all of us. But with this gambling white paper hanging over us and not necessarily knowing exactly when it was going to be published, I think, Neil Channing, I can I can award you the, the prize for worst bit of political uh, or betting punditry ever on yesterday's podcast. Oh, that's harsh. That is harsh. I mean, a week is a long time in the Nick Luck Daily, I would say. <laughs> and uh, things, are, things are very fluid at the moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, up until yesterday, people were saying that the officially the date that the... Uh, I heard later on in the day, after I spoke to you, officially the date of the white paper being published was supposed to be next Wednesday. I mean, God knows now. Uh, the, uh, the summer recess starts on the 21st of July. Uh, Chris Philp... Uh, the uh, the DCMS minister responsible for um, publishing the gambling white paper um, resigned this morning. Uh, he said that he'd sent the white paper to Downing Street and he was waiting for sign-off. But of course, we heard in the scrutiny committee yesterday uh, that people were routinely sending fairly minor uh, things for a decision from number 10 weeks and weeks ago and still waiting for someone to sign off because government has ground to a halt in the last few weeks. So whether the fact that uh, um, you know we're going to get a new prime minister means that uh, things will move any quicker or whether we'll... I mean, you've got to think that there'll be a, some kind of interim period where not much happens. It, it's going to be very hard to get this white paper through by the 21st. I can't remember if I offered you odds yesterday, but it must be 100 to 1 now that it happens before the summer recess. <laughs> I, I'm just sorry I didn't trade myself into a position on on Channing Exchange yesterday. Otherwise, I'd be... Terrible, terrible. I'd be, I'd be I, I, I must have been some of the worst odds compiling I've ever done. Lee, Lee Motter said, senior writer from the Racing Post, there's a paragraph in Chris Philp's resignation letter. Now, who knows, he might get this job back under a new prime minister, but anyway, and say, go on, go, get on and finish it. But he says, the gambling review is with number 10 for final approval containing strong measures to protect people from the ravages of gambling addiction. I have met with families of those who have committed suicide as a result of gambling addiction, and I strongly urge you to deliver the review in full and undiluted. Now, has Chris Philp effectively outed himself there as almost an abolitionist, or certainly on the side of the abolitionists? I think he certainly outed himself, Nick, as being someone who was very much pushing for the harshest possible action to be taken against the the gambling industry, although I'm not sure he needed much outing. I think there was enough evidence from things he said in the past, both before and after 
he became a minister in the DCMS of his views on the gambling sector. So I don't necessarily think it's a huge surprise, but it is interesting to see it documented in his, um, in his resignation letter. Um, in terms of, of what happens now, um, forgive me, um, I, I think the, 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 the implications of where we are politically um, are, are fascinating because on, on the one hand, you have the situation whereby we don't know now who is going to be the next prime minister and the identity of that person will, will clearly determine what happens with the with the white paper. You have people like, for example, Suella Braverman, the Attorney General, has already been speaking on the Today programme this morning, saying that she believes the 2019 manifesto is what she would like to take forward if she was elected. Now, she almost certainly won't, won't be elected. But the identity of the, the, the next Prime Minister and whether that Prime Minister wants to go forward with that 29 manifesto, I think will be critical in determining whether the white paper has legs in the future. What I think is quite concerning in the here and now is that it might potentially be a, a negative thing for racing if the white paper doesn't progress, because we already know that the Gambling Commission is acting in ways which are seriously damaging the racing industry. Joe Somerset-Smith, the, the new BHA chair, said as much when he addressed the Horse Racing Industry Conference at Newbury Racecourse last month. He spoke of how the Gambling Commission is already urging bookmakers to carry out affordability checks at levels that are far more severe than those which the government was apparently going to recommend in the white paper. Now, there was a chance that the government would, would anyway delegate much responsibility to the Gambling Commission in the white paper. But if we are in a limbo situation and there is no government intervention on this, then presumably it gives carte blanche for the Gambling Commission to carry on as it is doing now. And we know the damage that is causing. How do you read that, Neil Channing? Do you think the Gambling Commission will act differently with the with the fall of the government? No, I think Lee's absolutely right. I think the Gambling Commission have taken it upon themselves uh, to issue guidelines to operators to encourage them to be fairly draconian with affordability checks. Uh, but also they're not very clear companies when they're doing checks, whether it's anti-money laundering or, or affordability. Uh, and, and definitely the companies are, are coming in quite hard on people anecdotally. I'm, I'm hearing that from lots of people all the time. Um, <clears throat> but having said that, you know, even if this white paper came out in the way that Chris Phil wanted it and that was adopted as law, I think a lot of people in the industry would be quite glad to see that, you know, it's actually written down what the affordability should be rather than left to the Gambling Commission who nobody elected. Uh, and who don't give clear guidelines to the operators. So the operators are left in a situation where one operator might be quite strict on, uh, on uh, affordability checks and another operator might think, well, we're, we're, we're going to you know, take a slightly different view of the guidelines and not be so strict. I think in terms of FILP, if you were FILP, you probably thought to yourself in your career path, let me get this done, it'll be a success, uh, and I'll get a promotion. He's always been a bit of a Johnson loyalist. Uh, without, you know, he's not, uh, he, he's not uh, the Dean Dorries, but he's, he's definitely not 
really, you know, come out. He's been a reliable pair of hands. They've sent him on the morning media round quite often, and they felt that he's a kind of reliable pair of hands. Um, I, I guess if you're coming in, whoever you are, whether you're from the the, the further right of the Labour Party of, of, of the Conservative Party, like for example, uh, a, a, a um, Rishi Sunak or a Penny Morden, or whether you're from more the kind of David Cameron tradition, like a Tom Tuganat, uh, or possibly a Jeremy Hunt, whichever direction you're in, I think it's quite important for you to come in and and try and stabilise things and present yourself as a sensible party again and getting things done and getting on with the business of government. I think if you've got someone that's been a, considered around Westminster to be a successful minister, that's got a piece of work that's 90% written or maybe even in their opinion, a hundred percent ready to go as, as legislation, you'd probably be inclined to just give him another go and get it through. Wouldn't you? I would have thought. Uh, has, but is, has he compromised his chances of delivering effectively by being so indiscreet in his resignation letter about where his sympathies Well, yeah, that, 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 that's a good question. Because uh, say, for example, um, the new leader is, you know, somebody like, I don't know, Dominic Raab or um, uh, Penny Morden or Rishi Sunak, all people who are much more likely to think, uh, you know, on the libertarian lines, on the small government lines, we don't want to, you know, pass legislation that interferes with people's lives. We don't want to interfere with anything that might hurt the exchequer. Those people are much more likely to say, well, actually, this is a bit nanny state. I don't like the look of this. Whereas someone, Sajid Jarvis is interesting because he he is a bit sort of deficit hawkish and uh, he, he might be sort of in slightly in the centre of this bunch of quite right wing people. Uh, because he, he's worked in health and he's had those kind of arguments put to him about gambling harm and whatever. Same with Jeremy Hunt. Um, Tom Tuganat is perhaps more on, you know, slightly less right wing than the other people. So it, it does rather depend which direction the leadership contest goes in. Uh, but I do think that the sort of, you know, if, there's been a lot of talk of Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, being a very stable pair of hands, a sort of sensible guy that everybody likes. If, if he was to get the leadership, I think he'll be looking to say, you know, we're, we're just going to try and get things going back to normal government, in inverted commas, as, as he might say. And I, I think if that happens, I, I think Phil could be back in the job and it, and it could go through as it is. Of course, the only thing I'd say, Neil, the only thing I'd say on that is if, if Wallace becomes prime minister as a, as a quote unquote safe pair of hands who's mm. supposedly fulfilled the def- defence brief well, if he will be a very easy person for somebody to make a case on racing's behalf to, because he is a he is a racing fan. He was at the Gold Cup this year. He was quiet, very unassumingly at the Derby this year, sort of trying not to be seen. He he really enjoys the sport, so he could be he could be petitioned on racing's behalf. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I guess I guess if you wanted to pick the absolute best person from a racing point of view. Uh, from my point of view, maybe not the best person, but uh, a bit of a long shot. But Pretty Patel is a huge racing fan, uh, and definitely on the right wing of the Conservative Party. You don't I don't say. think she would. I think she would rip this white paper up and say we need to completely start again. Uh, right, well, Lee, <laughs> leaders. Does your, have, your vote go to Pretty Patel? Forty-seven to one at the moment on on I mean, th- th- I never expected to hear Neil Channing on a public platform calling for Pretty Patel to be our next Prime Minister. 
I mean, I mean, I, personally, I think they're all as bad as each other, so it doesn't make much difference to me. Yeah, I think. I think what's interesting through another point we should probably make as well is that, of course, Chris Philp um, works within the DCMS, um, and the DCMS is the department which has been forwarding this legislation. That has been led by Nadine Doris, who. Um, is highly, I would suggest, unlikely to retain high office in the next administration, given her undying loyalty to, to Boris Johnson. She probably still thinks he'll lead us into the next election and ride the winner of the first race at Newmarket today. So I think that the DCMS and who leaves the DCMS will be... Uh, well, I think, that's, well. I, I think that's an excellent point. And I think Phil, Phil to have his step up, but also keep his hands on the white paper... Doesn't he get the Dory's job? Is that possible? It's potential. I think. I think. I, I suppose we, what we have to say as well is that whilst this is of huge importance in our world, for those people right now who are positioning themselves and looking at what they might be able to do, it's probably quite a low priority. Um, I think that the, the fact it's taken this long as well to to even get to a point where it's close to publications, highlights everything else that's going on. And I, I, I do still think that whilst we're talking about this now, it's probably not going to be on the top of anyone's agenda uh, within Downing Street or within, within government right at this very moment. It, it, well, I think, you're, I think you're definitely right in terms of saying that, you know, racing's a great triviality and a lot of these people, you know, don't really care about it. But on the other hand, the 2019 Tory manifesto was actually quite a thin document uh, and the gambling uh, review and, and also more, more widely the online harms bill were fairly big parts of it. And they're going to have to, the new person when they come in is going to have to show that they can get stuff done. Uh, yeah, the new the news has now has now confirmed a conservative leadership contest will take place this summer and a new prime minister will be in place in time for party conference. Uh, in October, it did. It did just strike me, though, League, picking up on what you were saying, that we've got knowledge, and you, know, you and you and Neil have got more knowledge than me uh, on on this matter. But we've all been following it very closely. We're worried for our sport and our livelihoods, and for all sorts of selfish reasons, and because we because we love horse racing, because we we enjoy betting as well. We are concerned as to what's going to happen um, to the publication of this white paper and who might be responsible for it, and um, how prohibitive it might be on. On, on what we want to do with our with our leisure time, if you if you transpose that across the country, it does make you think how much legislation is being paused, halted, aborted because of the of the mess the the country's in. It's quite it's quite a terrifying thought when you when you transpose it from from our relatively relatively small world. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I mean, no, nothing at the minute is being done. You know, you you were listening to ministers on the radio and on the television this morning basically admitting that we pretty much don't have a functioning government um right now and i'm not necessarily sure that's going to immediately change by boris johnson's announcement if it's the case that he still plans to carry on until the autumn if it's the case that ministers have been resigning because they believe he no longer has the integrity to lead the country well how can he have the integrity to lead the country for, for two or three more months and i do think because he now is such damaged goods and he really is clearly politically now seriously damaged goods will anyone going into downing street now want to be too closely associated with anything 
that was uh, associated with Johnson. I think there's got to be a, a fair chance that a, that a new prime minister will want to draw a line under what has taken place and say they're setting out their own agenda now going forward. And whether the gambling white paper um, forms part of that, I wouldn't necessarily be sure. I'm sure it's a subject they will want to look at, partly because it is probably, in many ways, a vote winner in the sense that we know that the media across all sections, from The Guardian on the left to The Daily Mail on the right, believes this is an important issue and has been pushing it forward. And clearly, gambling harm is an important issue, but it's how it's presented and how it's tackled. So I, I, can, I can see the subject going forward, but I, I still just wonder whether any new Prime Minister will want to be too closely tied to the, the 29 manifesto, 2019 manifesto. All right, here's, here's a final question um, on, the, on the politics of this, Neil Channing, for you. Uh, it's, it's being reported at the moment that there, there are sort of two, two possibilities here, that, that Johnson will, will stay until a successor is found rather than, rather than actually resigning on the spot and, and letting Raab be a caretaker manager for, uh, for two or three months or whatever. Um, does that make a difference? Does it make a difference whether, whether Johnson stays through the recess and beyond or whether, or whether Raab takes over tonight? Um. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, if we'd have been two weeks forward, it wouldn't have made any difference at all because they don't pass any legislation in the summer. Um, I, I think the Tory party will be keen to just say, no, we're done. You need to leave today. Uh, and I guess if Rob comes in, uh, you know, he's a, he's a leadership candidate. He's a long shot, but he's, he's going to, you know, the best thing he can do as a caretaker is do some things effectively in the two weeks. But I mean, what can you do really? Um, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like if you're the caretaker for basically two weeks, you in terms of the parliamentary stuff, not much happens on the last week. You do one PMQs. Uh, you know, there's there's not a huge amount that's going to happen, but Potentially, the only thing that could happen is publishing the gambling white paper, which is kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, obviously, the other things are, you know, doing stuff on the world stage, uh, you know, having phone calls with Zelensky and, and, you know, making trips abroad and stuff like that. They can probably manage without anybody doing any of that. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess if he... If, if they, yeah, if they put Dominic Rabin in as a caretaker, it's slightly, but only ever so slightly increases the chances of the white paper actually happening before the summer. Uh, if, if they don't do that, well, the, I think there's no chance now. Um, I did think it was quite funny what Lee was saying just quickly. Um, cause I, I've heard that quite a lot before people saying, oh yeah, but the government can't function the mess, you know, it's such a mess, nothing gets done. All the time that Trump was in power, when people used to moan about him playing golf, I always thought, isn't, isn't that a good thing? Like, I'd quite like him to play golf every day. At least he won't be getting us into a nuclear war. Neil Channing, thank you very much. Well, let's check in with Will Woodhams, the chief executive of, of Fitzdares, our sponsors, for the latest betting on who is going to succeed Boris Johnson in number 10. Now, how do you play this, uh, Will? Because if, if Raab becomes a caretaker leader tonight, and Johnson's resisting that at the time I'm recording this, what happens then? Do you pay out on Raab, or is this the next elected party leader as of the autumn? He'll be the next permanent leader of the Conservative Party. Right. So we've covered ourselves, <laughs> as ever. 
So, so he doesn't count. So Raab as an interim leader doesn't count. No, permanent leader of the Conservative Party after Boris Johnson. Okay, so how are you betting at the moment? Um, so Penny Mordaunt's nine to two, but I just I'm not feeling it. If I'm really honest. Um, I know uh, Ben Wallace is at 13 to 2. A lot of grassroots supporters, a lot of party faithful um, are really digging Ben at the moment. Um, and it's an exclusive on the MLD. I've given an interview to the Times, but you get to scoop them by 23 hours. Um, all the smart money in West- Westminster is on Nadim Sahari currently. So the people in the know, the journalists, a um, couple of peers, other people are really keen for him. Hunt, 11 to 1. Tom, Tugendad, 11 to 1 as well. It's such an open race. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's like sort of pre-open golf betting uh, without the each way. It's all, I, there's just, there are no, I think Penny Mordaunt's a sort of, I don't know if stalking horse is the right term, but I can't see it happening. Rishi's at five, Liz Truss at seven. They were the ones that had all the talk about them pre this. But it all just goes up in the air. It's a brilliant market to punt on because uh, the price is good. Presumably, Sunak having been a very short price favourite and then drifted right out. Presumably, he's contracted over the last over the last few days because um, he will be he will be wanting reward for for for, for, for sort of precipitating the, the the house of cards. Really, yeah, but it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> once once the knives come out and the, and the sort of kind of electioneering starts, these get it all. It just jumps around. It's crazy, and it, and also because so many people have been loyal, it's sort of dis counted them and it's yeah i don't know this i, I think um, even kirstan made a good joke about ships leaving sinking rats um i mean it feels like to me john gosses has had a word with the prime minister this morning he pulled him aside he's had a good chat with him and they've decided for the best of both of them that uh, boris had to go well thanks very much <laughs> all right lee um Back to what's happening on the track uh, in in horse racing. Uh, I'm at Newmarket for the for the July Festival today, the first day of the Merton Shondor July Festival. It is Ladies' Day. Um, what are you most looking forward to this afternoon? Well, I, I have to admit Nick, that the the racing probably won't grab my attention quite as much as it would have done in normal circumstances. But it is, you say, the first day of what is one of the the key meetings. Uh, in the the summer flat racing season it's always a hugely enjoyable three-day fixture at newmarket thursday tends to be the quietest of the three days on the racing front but we've got two uh, extremely interesting group contest actually three interesting group contests nick not with with huge fields and probably no outstanding superstars on show but they're good competitive tight little races i think the the Princess of Wales' stakes um, looks like a, a fascinating matchup between Mostadaf representing the Gosdens and Jim Crowley and, and Yibir, who was the British Cup Turf winner last season, hasn't delivered so far on the track this season, at least not with a win. I think the July stakes, again, looks like a really interesting head-to-head between Persian Force and Little Big Bird. The, the, the Bahrain Trophy is hugely valuable, Group 3, with £200,000 on offer they're very surprising there's no more than six runners in a race like that particularly when it's not got the deepest feel we got master kayla and walk of stars going on from from the derby but i suppose the the big story at newmarket today is is the reason why the racing post front page has a picture of john gosden and frank latore under the headline summer loving because they are they are back together with with mighty ulysses in the in the sir henry cecil stakes and whilst frankie latore 
was choosing not to talk to journalists at Kempton last night. He, he seemingly blew them a kiss, shouted, I love you, and then said, let's go to Newmarket tomorrow. People will inevitably be asking Frankie questions because although we have heard plenty from, from John Gosden in recent days, including on the pod in which he further laid out the reasons why he was had been angry with, with, with Frankie de Tory. We've not heard Frankie de Tory's take on what John Gosden has said, and he's bound to be asked the question. And although he might play a straight bat, I think he'll keep being asked the question until he um, responds to whether he agrees with John Gosden that his eye wasn't properly on the job going into and through Royal Ascot. Yeah, I suspect he's given that a fair bit of thought. And I, 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 but I, I take your point. I think you'll be able to see the maker's name today. His bat will be so straight. I'd be amazed if anything else was the case for the time being anyway. I think that's the case. I think certainly until we get through this meeting, maybe at some point at a, on a quiet day next week, he, he might say something. But if, if one of John Gosden's uh, complaints and uh, areas of disgruntlement with Dittori was his feeling that Dittori was was suffering because of distractions he won't want him to be distracted today I think that will include talking about this subject um, but clearly for people who do what we do Nick it will remain a, a big topic on the table until Frankie talks about it. Uh, news yesterday that uh, your paper broke that Joseph O'Brien will train a small string in Saratoga this summer to try and take advantage of the the big prize money uh, that Naira are putting up for for some of the turf races it's a it's an ambitious move and a, a most understandable one, isn't it, Lee? Yeah, it is, and I think it just underlines Nick how uh, go ahead, how forward thinking, how shrewd Joseph O'Brien is. As you say, there's the, the tons of cash uh, to go after over there. Probably some winnable races too, given the sort of horses that Joseph O'Brien trains. Um, and I'm I, I think he probably won't be the first person to do this, and it will be fascinating to see how he. He gets on at Saratoga. There had been rumours that Frankie Tatorium was actually going to be riding more at Saratoga through this this summer, including for Wesley Wall. But I guess the the uh, the reunion with the Gosdens will change that. Also, actually, news with with Joseph O'Brien, um, Nick, that he's taking control of the Chester Cup winner Cleveland uh, from his father because of that horse being purchased by the Williams family who, of course, are one of the biggest owners in Australian flat racing and Victorian racing in, in particular. Um, and that horse will likely be trained for the Melbourne Cup via the Ebor. So Joseph O'Brien uh, in the news now, as you'll know, that continues to be in the news for positive reasons uh, as the year goes on. Now, Lee, as you and regular listeners to this podcast will know, I have been one of a number of industry representatives who's been sitting as part of the British Horse Racing Authority's whip review steering group over the last 18 months or so. And the um, fruits of our collective labour are set to be revealed fairly imminently and there will be some policy changes. Now, Marcus Townend, being the excellent journalist that he is, has got the scoop and there was a leak of uh, what is suspected to be some of the contents of that review in today's Daily Mail. Now, obviously, I can't say too much as I'm part of the steering group and I clearly would urge everybody to wait until the full publication of that emerges uh, before too long. But uh, you can just give us a flavour of what Marcus is running with today. Yes, absolutely. I, I, will, I will pass on what Marcus has said 
um, in his story, uh, which was in the Daily Mail print edition today. He says that the 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 purpose or the thrust of the the whip review will be to crack down on the use of the whip by jockeys uh, in an excessive form in the major races. He says, as a result of or if the whip review gets uh, enacted, if you like, then the, 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 any jockey who strikes them out 12 times in big races on over jumps will have their mount disqualified and the jockey will be suspended for up to a month. The same rule would apply to flat jockeys who strike them out 11 times. There would be leeway uh, if a jockey could show, according to Marcus, that the whip had been used for safety purposes uh, or uh, in respect of the safety of their fellow riders too, then, then the jockey would have some leeway. The stewards wouldn't have necessarily to to go through with the disqualification. But Marcus points out that had this rule been in place in April, then Noble Yates would have been disqualified from his victory in the biggest race of all, the Grand National, because Sam Welly Cohen hit his horse 14 times in that race. Of course, what you have to say as well is that the, the, the whole point of this sort of policy would be that Sam Welly Cohen, in all probability, would not have hit his horse 14 times because he would have known if he'd hit the horse 12 times, he would have been disqualified. Um, so this is clearly something that is going to trigger the most enormous debate. We know how uh, consistently hot a topic in racing use of the whip is. That is not just in, in British horse racing, that's in horse racing all around the world. Every jurisdiction is looking at this now pretty much and looking at what to do next. And the subject of whether horses should be disqualified where their riders break the, the whip rules has been one that's been talked about regularly. You have people uh, such as Samar Prescott who have said this is an excellent idea and it should be, should be implemented. Others believe it's a, a terrible idea. Uh, this will not go away. And when this is announced next week, it will be the, 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 the big story in town for quite some time. I should add as well, um, Nick, that we are basing all that on this, uh, this leaked story in the Daily Mail. We haven't seen, I haven't seen the, the whip review. And until I see the whip review, and until we all see the whip review, uh, we can't really make any comment, I don't think, ourselves. This is based purely on a leaked story, and I'm sure we will see something official in the coming days. Well, one of the great highlights annually of the July Festival here at Newmarket is the Bahrain Trophy, which kicks off uh, the meeting today. The executive director of the Bahrain Turf Club, Salman bin Rashid Al Khalifa, is is with me now. Uh, Sheikh Salman, the association between Bahrain and Newmarket is a is a long standing one, isn't it? And and one I know that you're very proud of. Yes, it is. It is uh, one of the um, uh, oldest sponsorships. Um, uh, and affiliations with the Jockey Club and the New, Mar New Market Racecourse, and uh, we're very proud to be a part of this partnership. These sponsorships add a lot of value, and and uh, I think it's a, it's a nice opportunity to sort of showcase what we're doing back 
in uh, the Kingdom of Bahrain. Um, it's a good opportunity to network with with traders and owners, um, uh, and um, uh, and I think it, it definitely adds a lot of value. And let's talk a little bit more about what has been happening in Bahrain. Obviously, regular listeners to this podcast and, and regular viewers of Racing TV will will know quite a bit about the the International Trophy and the Turf Series. Um, give me a give me an appraisal from your perspective of how it's gone over the last couple of years. Well, it's been, uh, I think, very exciting the, the last uh, three years. We started, of course, in 2019 with our first uh, um, international race. Uh, and to see it progress and develop um, during these years, I think, was uh, very encouraging. Um, and last year, we hosted the Bahrain Turf Series for the first time. Um, I think it was a really good experience for everyone. Um, and um, uh, you know, we're hoping that um, going down the line, I think more uh, trainers are, are willing to uh, sort of test other racing jurisdictions. And and, um, and I think it's, it's well positioned. Uh, the timing of, of the Turf Series, I think, falls in a very good um, time frame from uh, December to February. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, just to give uh, some numbers, I think, uh, the, seeing the Bahrain uh, uh, International, uh, was, uh, with the last two years, uh, first four placings with over 113 rating, I think, was, was, was really encouraging to see. And I expect that number to... Uh, to jump uh, going down the line now that the race is a um, Group 3 group race by the IFHA um, and so we're very proud of and we will continue to seek to, uh, to, to progress. And, and just finally, we're seeing ever-increasing representation from Bahraini owners in, in Great Britain investing in, in racing here. Do you see that as a, 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 a very much an upward trend moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, the last couple of years, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of investment that went into the sport here in England. Um, and um, uh, great achievements, um, I think, in the last uh, three years in, in all the big uh, meetings and um, uh, events, uh, racing events uh, during the season. Um, and, and I can only see that growing. Thanks. All right. Thanks to all my guests today. Uh, Lee, do you have a tip for me for this afternoon or for the weekend? Uh, yeah, I'll go this afternoon, Nick, in the three o'clock at Newmarket, a very valuable £100,000, six following handicap for three-year-olds. Uh, the Judmont team had two horses in this race at the start of the week, Sam Buru, who ran okay in the Jersey Stakes, but now looks likely to go towards the, the Bunbury Cup, and Diodar, a horse trained by Rafe Beckett. Both horses, actually, both horses were driven by, by Ryan Moore. They've clearly gone with this one in this race. He's a horse who, on one piece of form, as a juvenile, uh, when he was uh, second to Flaming Rib in a Doncaster listed race, he looks pretty well handicapped off a mark of 93. If he can come back to that sort of form, he's blinkered for the first time, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if he did come back to that sort of form. So, Diodar for me in the three o'clock at Newmarket this afternoon. Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much uh, for listening. By the time you, you listen to this, we might have a, a new Prime Minister. Then again, we might not. Um, we, will, we will see you again tomorrow, either which way. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.